Hello, my friends. Welcome to Detox Podcast. I am Denise Walker, your host, and this is episode 67. It is called British Columbia in mid-July. <laughs> I hope you're doing well, but if you're not, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. These are times that are super tough, and that's kind of what this this poem's about. It's about crisis and the response of others. Uh, so I'm just going to get into it. British Columbia in mid-July. Thick smoke from fires in the west. Burning trees lead to old homes burning. We choke in the vastness of the prairies on the shadow of others' loss. Our eyes stick to a pock Ecalyptic skies, our lungs harbor strangers' sorrow. Water, buckets of water is what they need. I'll pray for them and for doomsday rain while I practice nightly my own version of drowning. Mm. Couldn't even say apocalyptic there for a second. Uh, you'll have to excuse my, uh, my stumble. Um, I wrote this a few years ago when we were having massive fires in British Columbia, I mean, that's pretty normal. It happens kind of every summer, gets super dry, gets super hot, not enough rain. And there's just so, so many fires, devastating fires. And I live in Alberta, so I'm in the province that neighbors British Columbia and we get a lot of the smoke. And I honestly think it was like the last three or four years that we've, we've really experienced this smoke. I know I would go, vacationing in British Columbia and it would be like smoky hazy ash would rain from the sky it was pretty apocalyptic to have ash rain from the sky and yeah but in Alberta we would get a lot of the smoke and it would black up like not black but block out the sun and it wasn't until the year following when we began to have our own extremely devastating fires in Alberta. And this is just when it came into my consciousness. I'm sure that it's been happening for a long time. Uh, but we, this is when we had Fort McMurray wildfires, where uh, Fort McMurray is a city up in the north of Alberta. It's a big uh, oil city, uh, lots of um, camps, for oil and, and things like that around that area. And we, it just lit on fire, the whole thing, like not the oil, but the forests and the lands and people lost their homes in like matter of, of minutes. Everybody was on the highway. The There was so much footage of the fire, like right up to the highway and everybody's just driving. And oh, like I'm having like a visceral response right now talking about it. I was involved in my own kind of small way uh, when that happened. I was working at ambulance dispatch. I still work there. And that night I was on air ambulance. So we have about 12 um, medevac airplanes in the province of Alberta. And um, at my dispatch center, we're in charge of dispatching them. And so we rerouted all of our planes to Fort McMurray to help get patients out of there because the hospital was threatened. We had to get patients out of the hospital and to different hospitals around the province because they, they, their lives were threatened. We had to get them out of there. And it was interesting to be so removed 
like involved but removed physically from it and to have such an intense adrenaline response through it and nervous system response through it and so this poem is kind of about it's it's about vicarious trauma and uh and kind of feeling the weight of the grief of the world and i come from a really uh privileged life i'm white i came from like upper middle class family i haven't had a lot of financial or socioeconomic strife in my life i've never experienced um a trauma such as a natural disaster before, like this fire or other fires, fires in California, fires in Australia, fires in the Amazon, fires, fires everywhere. And we see it on the news and we see it on our social media, people's firsthand accounts of driving down highways in California where like you can't see anything but fire and you have no idea how these people will even survive this moment of their life. And many people didn't survive. People, people die, animals die, homes are lost, lives are destroyed. And not just these fires right now, right? We're talking about a global pandemic that is uh, destroying lives in so many ways um, from the basis of just actual death caused by the disease. Um, It's altering lives of people who are sick and who have quote unquote recovered from coronavirus but are now seeing long lasting effects that have altered their lives. People who are marathon runners who now can no longer walk upstairs. We're having people who believe in conspiracy theories that are that are saying that none of this is true. It's just a big um, way for the government to control us. The numbers are skewed. Oh, people um, people die from the flu all the time. So what's the big deal? Why is this any different? Um, dealing with that. I mean, even if you are on the side of believing that this is a conspiracy and um, and that the the government is out to get us, that's grief too. No matter what you believe, if it's true or if it's not true, or or if you've had loved ones in your family and friends die, or if if you yourself are ill because of this, and you're you've lost your job, maybe you've lost your livelihood, your your lifestyle up from perhaps traveling all the time, or um, uh, if you are a very extroverted person and you find healing in, in connection and being in close proximity to other people and having to isolate or or at least distance yourself from that. Or even if you're the person who who isn't following, following any of the rules. I'm not here to shame you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to say you're probably facing a lot of shame and judgment. And, and that's hard too. You know, we're all... We're all in this together in the sense that we're all having our own very personal experiences of this. We are all feeling economic pressure. We're all feeling societal pressure. We are feeling the grief of the world. Um, We're feeling, uh, especially um, people involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, where there's a whole 
wave of us as white people who have now discovered that we're the we're the evil person it's it's kind of like uh in hunger games where you realize that you're actually the people living in the capital and you're not katniss everdeen uh it's like in red rising the book red rising by paul brown you realize that you're a gold not a red and uh and and i'm not trying to say that that in any way that kind of hardship matches anywhere close to what it's like to be a person of color, to to be part of BIPOC or um, anyone who has had any sort of oppression because of the systemic racism we are living in. And, and for me, I've been a part of upholding that. And so on all sides, we are all feeling these new waves of, of realization that life is not exactly how we thought it was. And we have to now face that, which can be very stripping and very difficult. And it's very necessary. And it is your responsibility to do it. And it is my responsibility to do it. And I welcome that hardship. But it is hard. And it is is 10 times, but 10 bajillion times more hard to be a person of color who has faced this discrimination all their lives and everything is stacked against them, of course. And people in the LGBTQ plus community who have seen this oppression and felt it and lived it and and held onto that at a cellular, cellular level, all these people who have been told, if you are part of any of these uh, oppressed communities and groups. Oh my gosh, the cellular grief that is yours, as well as others, as well as generations that came before you, the way that you've been treated, the way that you've been told that you are bad and wrong, and there's something inherently wrong with you. Oh my god. Everything in this world right now is too much, but it is so necessary. And there's so many of us too, who are like frontline workers, right? Who are, who are seeing all of this trauma from coronavirus, whether it be true coronavirus and, or people believing that coronavirus is something else, being faced with balancing those two opinions and those two realities and those two facts. Um, sorry, not facts, realities. I'm gonna go with realities where, let's say you are a nurse and you have people coming to your ER you're facing these people who you're juggling all these people who are very, very ill, scared because of how quickly coronavirus can take lives, faced with family members perhaps who do not believe, faced with people who are trying to come into the hospital and are not following the rules, they're not masking, they're, they're argumentative, that emotional labor it takes to attempt to reason with them or at least get them to go away because you do not have the emotional capacity at all to argue with somebody about policy and procedure. The very basic of how these systems work is policy and procedure, and they're all in place to keep everybody safe. 
And when you come up against it and you are aggressive and mean, and that is just like, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like to have to deal with that. So if you're a frontline worker at a grocery store, at a gas station, anywhere where you are serving the public and they are giving you grief over this, I, I honor you and I acknowledge that this is so much, so much for you to carry. Whew. We are carrying so much, all of us. And we're trying to carry it for each other. And we're trying to band together. And like, remember back in like March, April, May type area where everybody was like playing music off their balconies in Italy and, and doing all these free concerts on the internet and, and giving frontline workers free stuff and, and supporting everybody. And there's all this love. And now it just feels like there's all this animosity. Everybody is compassion fatigued and coronavirus fatigued and we're we're in this place where it's sort of like every man for themselves which is which is honestly fair because right now all we can do is take care of ourselves all we can do is is focus on making sure we stay alive oh and then the presidential election or basically this entire presidential term, right? All the hatred and insanity that has come from these last four years. I am in Canada and and I can't even imagine what you Americans have been going through. Whew. It's just too much. How do we do it? How do we keep doing this? How do we stay sober through stuff like this? That's the ultimate question is how do we survive and how do we survive well? I think the key is to just really not put any sort of idea or parameters around it. When we, when we are faced with crisis and vicarious crisis, whether or not it is, it is direct or vicarious, we, we have a, a nervous system response where, where we go into this sort of fight or flight response, right? These, the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system moving from parasympathetic to sympathetic nervous system where heart rate goes up, respiration goes up, uh, the, our blood is shunted uh, to our vital organs. Uh, you might feel some tingling, some lightheadedness. You might feel like it's kind of hard to organize your thoughts. And the longer we stay in this state, the, the more like our anxiety builds, the more like on edge we are, the more irritable we become, and the more quick we are to, to jump to quick fixes. 
Something to make it stop. Something to end this. Something to just make ourselves feel okay and not have to think about the gross amount of heartache that is happening right now. And I don't even know if it's any consolation anymore to say like, well, we're all in this together. On some level, yes, like we are not alone in in this collective trauma. And that is what it is, it's collective trauma. A widespread natural disaster. Something that is affecting us to our very, very core. We will never be the same. Things will never be the same. We will be forever altered by these times. Give yourself some slack right now. Give yourself some grace. The holidays are coming up. And I can't even imagine what must be running through every individual's head right now. From the fact that maybe you've lost people this year. Maybe you've lost members of your community. Maybe you've lost friends because they were stuck in their racist, bigot mindsets and couldn't see the harm they were causing and the wrongness of their mindsets. Or perhaps those were even family members. Perhaps you feel this intense pressure to show up the way you've shown up in previous Christmases to buy really awesome presents and and show your love in these physical material items like you have in all the years prior because that's just what you do and you've always been financially stable but in, until now maybe you're not how do we let go of these ideas of who we think we are and and shift into okay, I'm not the person I used to be. My life is not the way it used to be. How do, you, how do we reconcile? I know I'm personally struggling with the idea of Christmas presents. I do not have any expendable income. Normally I do. I decided to open a business. <laughs> And all my money is going into that. All my money. And I know that my sister is now moving home because she can't afford to live on her own anymore because she's on WCB for psychological trauma that she incurred at work 
because she works with me at Ambulance Dispatch. I know my parents have debt. And to be honest, I think it would be a gigantic relief if all of us didn't buy each other presents. For all of us. But I don't know. We're so used to, I mean, at least I am, I'm used to putting on a face when I'm feeling internal crisis. I hold it all together. I rarely, rarely can break. It's very difficult for me to be truly emotionally vulnerable and accept help. I talk about this all the time. I talk about it in my poems. I talk about it on the internet. But that moment in real life where I express something that has altered me. The other day I took, we had a had a horrible, horrible calls come through at work at 911. Some to do with coronavirus, some to do with not, but just like so much death and destruction, forever altering lives. And I was just like rocked by the weight of the grief of it all. And I was telling my friend about it. And she hugged me. And the tears started to come and then a switch happened. And it's like I locked it all up. Resilient to a fault. <laughs> and that's like, I, f I don't know if that's conditioned from my life. From being a, the eldest sibling in a family dynamic where my father was bipolar. And I always felt I needed to be the strong one, the stable one, the emotionally dependent one. So yes, it's part of that, but also addiction. Instead of processing emotions and allowing them to just be present and, and feeling it and like thinking it's okay to feel it, I then like conditioned myself by suppressing all of it. I drowned it. I'll pray for them and for doomsday rain while I practice nightly my own version of drowning. You use water to put out a fire and I used alcohol to escape, to try to cure the crisis that was going on around me and inside of me. Trying to drown the flames.
whatever it is that you are experiencing through all of this. Perhaps it's something you've been experiencing your whole life and now it's just been amplified. I love you. I care about you. All you gotta do is survive. That's all you gotta do. One foot in front of the other, being truly honest about what you need. Truly, truly honest about what you need. Whether that's some mental health days at home from work, declining any sort of social obligation knowing that you need to just not look at your phone because it's just filled with content of what's going on in the world. People dying and people smiling. It's jarring and confusing. Be honest with yourself, how you're feeling and what you need. And if what you need to survive is to stay busy, that's okay too. It's sort of what I've been doing. I've been craving being able to relax and chill and feel things for a moment, but I don't know. I almost feel like I'm going into workaholism a little bit because I just, as soon as I have any sort of quiet time, it's like, okay, what next? What project is next? What, what should I post on Instagram? What should I plan for my next meditation class? What should I do as a workshop next? Always thinking about the future, always thinking about other people, how I can serve them, how can I help? What's my next podcast episode going to be about? I have day, I, I have uh, most of the day to myself today, and I'm sitting here recording a bunch of episodes. <laughs> but it's helping me. Talking about this helps me. And, and hopefully you can find some sort of way to soothe your nervous system, to, to try to be at least a little present in your body to, to process a little bit of this. But whatever you need to do, that's what you need to do. British Columbia in mid-July. Thick smoke from fires in the west. Burning trees lead to old homes burning. We choke in the vastness of the prairies on the shadow of others' loss. Our eyes stick to apocalyptic skies and our lungs harbor strangers' sorrow. Water, buckets of water is what they need. I'll pray for them in doomsday rain while I practice nightly my own version of drowning. <laughs>